Matthew chapter 21, we have just seen Jesus make his triumphal entry on a donkey and then subsequently cleanse the temple. He doesn't like what he sees. From the outside, it looks good. It looks busy, right? Busy temple, lots of people doing lots of things. But as he gets closer, he sees what's actually going on. So Matthew chapter 21, we're going to be reading verses 18 to 22. Hear now God's word for his people. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, in the book, The Goblet of Fire, uh, there, there's a competition, right? Three students from three different schools, one student from each school, are, are chosen to compete in this competition to win the cup. It's called The Goblet of Fire because each potential contestant writes their name down on a piece of paper and throws it into the goblet, which then chooses one name from each school. But each previous competition had been so fierce and so dangerous that this year there was a new rule. You had to be 17 or older. You had to be 17 or older to, to even come close to the goblet in order to put your name in the cup. And to assure this, the strongest among them, uh, the headmaster, puts a protective force field, so to speak, around the cup so that you can't even get close. Well, two young students think they're smarter, they're wittier, they're more clever than the strongest among them, the headmaster. So they, they drink a, a simple aging potion. It makes them look older on the outside while still being the same on the inside. And they think that they can fool the headmaster simply by looking older on the outside. One of the most intelligent among them, a fellow student, says probably what you're all thinking. The headmaster himself placed this force field. You think you're going to outsmart him? Good luck. He's not going to be fooled by the likes of you. Long story short, he wasn't. And so the question as we approach this, this passage, we're going to be witnesses to the fate of a young fig tree that looks the part but is not what it appears to be. So the question is, will God be fooled, or are we fools for thinking that we can fool God? This morning we're going to explore true discipleship, and we're going to see that false faith withers, doubting faith distrusts, but true faith abides. You see in verse 18 that Jesus is hungry, and then we read this description in verse 19. He saw a fig tree by the wayside, why a fig tree? Why is it important for you to know that it was a fig tree? Well, let me take you through a quick survey of the Old Testament to, to help you understand what a, what a Jewish ear would have heard when they heard 
fig tree. In the first five books of the Old Testament, the law, we read in Deuteronomy 8, for the Lord is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees. It's a sign of bounty, good things. In the historical books, in 1 Kings chapter 4, notice how fig trees are a sign of peace and safety. Judah and, and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba. Every man under his fig tree and under his vine. In the prophets, they looked forward to this day when Jesus would come back, when Jesus would come, when God would deliver his people. And this is how they described it in Zechariah chapter 3. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. When you hear palm trees, you think sun, sand, beaches, warm, playful. When Israel heard fig trees, they thought bounty, peace, security, blessing. And so they hear that Jesus sees a fig tree by the wayside, and they think good things are coming. But what happens when Jesus gets closer? Verse 19 again. He went to it, and he found nothing on it but leaves. Jesus saw the external signs of a healthy tree from a distance. Good bark, probably lots of branches, many leaves. What else should be there? Fruit. But there was no fruit. He saw only leaves. It reminds me of what art authenticators do. Um, if you've ever witnessed an art authentication, right, to determine whether a painting is real or not, uh, a lot of forgers have the skill to, to fool even the best of experts from a distance. If experts are 20, uh, 10, 20 feet from the painting, they can't tell whether it's real or not. So what do they do? They get close. They get real close. And they examine the parchment. Is it old enough? Is it the right texture? They look at the brush strokes. Is this consistent with the author, with the painter? They look at the hue of each color, right? Every painter would mix their colors in a specific way. And as they get close, they can see if the paintings are the real deal. And so Christian, I wonder if from a distance we can put on a good show. We can attend corporate worship. We can give our money to good causes. We can sing all the songs. We can listen to all the sermons. We can be nice to our neighbors even. But what will people see as they get closer? What will God see as he examines the heart? To be clear, to be abundantly clear, this passage is not about those who sin. We all sin. We all say things we ought not to say. We all don't do the things that we should be doing. We all look at things that we should not be looking at and desiring over them. This passage is instead, uh, this is about a tree that looks like it's producing fruit but is not. This is a tree that has pretty leaves on it, but on the inside it's unhealthy and it doesn't produce fruit. This passage is not talking about struggling Christians. This passage is talking about hypocritical people. This passage is not a warning against a faith that struggles, but a faith, a faith that is false. Because false, false faith withers. Jesus lovingly warns you in verse 19. Here's the rest of it. 
He says to the fig tree that looks like it's doing all the right things but is not producing fruit, every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, he says in Matthew chapter 7. In verse 19 of our passage, he says, may no fruit ever come from you again. And what did the fig tree do? It withered at once. Why? Because of what Matthew 7 says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. People of God, the the sobering reminder throughout all of Scripture is that God knows all things. We cannot fool Him. He knows whether we are putting on a show. He knows whether we are sincere or not. He knows whether all the things we do are nice, pretty leaves or genuine fruit. But that's also the good news of the Gospel. The good news of the Gospel is that God knows all things. He knows your heart. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows you in a way that nobody else does, including yourself. And He knows what is good for you in a way that nobody else does, including yourself. He even knows the truth. He knows whether you are an enemy of God or a friend of God. And now hear the good news once more. According to Romans 5, It's actually while we were enemies that we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. That's the whole thrust of the gospel to make once enemies now friends, to make the lost found, to make the death of God's Son bring new life for all those who believe in Him. So if the Holy Spirit is is convicting you of your need for genuine faith, do not despair that you have been living in sin because that's exactly the kind of person that Jesus loves to save. Who did Jesus come to save but the lost? Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, Paul says. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, I plead with you to abandon your false faith and embrace Jesus as He has offered in the Gospel to believe in Him. But as always, we, we have to define our terms. Uh, what does believing in Christ mean? Right? I believe the sun exists. I believe there's a piano right here next to me, and so do all of you. Even the demons believe. Demons believe more than most people in the world. The demons know that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. They were witnesses to it. We can believe all these things and still not trust Because doubting faith distrusts. Look what Jesus says in verse 21. He says to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. What a statement. What a statement. If you have faith and you do not doubt, you can move mountains. And if that's not enough, look at the very next verse. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. I mean, wow. What? I mean, we're, we're not fully blown away by the, by the weight of what that says. Now, I have a, a few elders in the room. I know what you want me to say. Uh, I went to seminary. I know what I'm supposed to say here. I know what all my professors want me to say. I know what every pastor 
who embraces the gospel wants me to say at this point. I'm supposed to qualify for you everything you've just heard. I'm supposed to tell you that to move mountains does not literally mean to move mountains. Moving mountains was a metaphor for doing what was impossible, seemingly impossible. I'm supposed to tell you uh, that you will not get something just because you ask for it and you have enough faith. I'm supposed to tell you that if you ask for something and don't get it, it's not because you didn't have enough faith. I'm supposed to tell you all of that. So there you go, I said it. Now, it's good to be clear. It's good to, to be careful because there are plenty of people who misunderstand passages like this and are even teaching passages like this in the wrong way. I, I, have, I have witnessed terrible, terrible things because of passages like this. But I, I fear that we get so caught up in, in explaining what this passage doesn't say that we miss out on, on the beauty and the weight of what it does say. Christian, especially in light of what we just heard about this fig tree, what does this passage say? Well, let's go back to the fig tree. A false faith can look pretty on the outside. It can have nice leaves, many branches, and a nice trunk. But no matter how much it labors, it can't produce fruit. In fact, it withers and it dies. But by contrast to the tree that cannot produce fruit, God can not only use you to produce fruit, God can use you to do the impossible. God can use you to move mountains. Don't believe me. Let's review. Moses, not exactly a public speaker. God led, God used him to lead his people through Egypt and through the desert. David, little shepherd boy, became king because God promised he would become king and he did. As we discussed at VBS, God used a small Israelite army to defeat not only other armies, but the walls of Jericho. How? By simply walking around and shouting. Because God promised that that's what would happen. Paul used to murder Christians, people. Paul used to murder Christians. And God promised him that he would be a light to the Gentiles. And you know what he did? He wrote the majority of the New Testament. If that's not moving mountains, I don't know what is. And so you are not Paul, you are not David, you are not Moses, you are not Joshua, but you are a child of God. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that is to whom Jesus makes these promises. So be encouraged. The only qualifier God places on your prayers, on your requests, is faith. And if you are taking notes, please write this down because this matters. Faith is believing in what God has promised. Faith is not the level of how, how sincere you are. Faith is not simply believing. Faith, as the Bible explains it, is believing in what God has promised. So the question is not, what am I allowed to ask for? The question is, what has God promised? What are the mountains that God has promised to move? I think of one example that helps us to explain this, this doubt. James, uh, in his letter, reminds us in chapter 1 that if we lack wisdom, 
we should ask God who gives generally to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. No qualifiers? No, there is, of course. You have to ask in faith with no doubting. Why? Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord because he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James clarifies what Jesus acts out on this fig tree. You can't fool God. You can't serve God and. It doesn't work that way. The way Jesus and James use doubt, it is not a a sincere questioning. Jesus isn't saying that if you ask for something but have even the slightest ounce of doubt, God will not give it to you. Doubting, as James and Jesus use it, is having a foot in both camps. It's playing both sides. If you've ever seen a movie, you probably know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, in Lord of, in uh, The Hobbit, it's Alfred, the second in command to the master of Lake Town. In Aladdin, it's Iago. In uh, The Avengers, it's Loki. It's almost every character in the Bond films, right? There, there's this double agent. There's this idea of, I don't know which side I'm on, so I'm going to play both sides. And that way, whoever wins, I win too. That's what praying with doubting means. And it's so common to human nature because we want to win. We want to make sure that no matter what side we're on, we win. We want to be on the winning side. And because we don't always know what side that's going to be, we can subtly come to serve God and. What does that look like? For instance, we declare Jesus as king. We sing, we participate in the confessions, and we also agonize and fret over who's going to be in leadership whether it's Congress or the presidency or who's going to be the mayor or the governor, right? We fret because Jesus is king. But if any real change is going to happen, it's going to happen at the state level. I've got to get the right governor in place. I've got to get the right mayor in place. We've got to have the right president for Christianity to be all that it can be. We serve God and. We rightly say God's word is the ultimate authority And we also allow or even celebrate the sins of others. Gossip isn't that bad. I mean, everyone gossips. Rather than lovingly telling our brothers and sisters the truth of God's word, at our core, we are afraid that we might be on the losing side, which is why we can be prone to keeping one foot in each camp. But listen to the good news of God's promises people of God, listen to the good news of the gospel. In 1 John, God promises something, and if God promises something, that means you can believe in it and be assured that you will get it. 1 John 5, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Everyone who has been born of God has true faith, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Doubting faith that is not, the faith that is not committed, but has one foot in two camps, is no faith at all, right? John is not saying your faith overcomes the world. John is saying your faith overcomes the world. It is not 
It is not your faith, but your faith. And what is faith? It is believing in what God has promised. So really, it does not depend on the strength of your faith, but what your faith is in. If your faith is in something that is not reliable, it doesn't matter how strong you believe in it, how strongly you believe in it. If your faith is in God, it likewise does not matter how strongly you believe in the promises of God. They will happen. God will bring to pass everything that he has said will happen. And so doubting faith, the faith that is not actually invested in God, the faith that wavers, the faith that says, I believe in God and that is the faith that cannot be guaranteed that what they pray for will come to pass because you are not asking in faith. So Christian, if your fear, if your fear is that you don't know the end, you don't know what will happen, God guarantees you the victory in Jesus Christ. God has overcome the world in Jesus Christ. Believe in him. And so the question is, how do we do this? How do we stop from simply going through the motions and having a merely outward faith? How do we, how do we stop from having a, a foot in both camps and actually establishing ourselves in the Lord? Well, it's easier and more difficult than you might think. True faith abides. Uh, consider, consider what has happened in the, uh, in the history of Israel so far. God gave them the law. And did Israel obey? Not so much. Well, okay, here's prophets, right? Here's Moses and Elijah. Now you'll obey. Not so much. Okay, well, let's try kings. If you have the right king, then Israel will obey. That didn't happen either. Well, here's some more prophets. Prophets that are going to warn you explicitly what's going to happen if you don't turn from your sin and obey. Now Israel's going to obey. No, still no. Okay? Well, here's Jesus. God made flesh. God the Son coming down to earth, taking on human body, like you and like me, now everyone will obey, right? Still no. Why? Is it because Jesus isn't enough? Is it because we need Jesus and? No. The point is not that Jesus isn't enough. The point is that even an external embrace of Jesus doesn't do it. Even an external half-hearted commitment to Jesus doesn't do it. You can't simply say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord, Lord. You must abide in Him because true faith abides. Jesus explicitly states what our passage implies in John 15. Uh, John 15 and verse 5, you read this. I am the vine, Jesus says. You, my people, are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We hear about what it means to be a Christian, right? In our, in our best moments, we long to love others even when they don't love us, even to pray for our enemies. In our best moments, we want to give generously. We want to uh, 
We want to be patient and joyful in all circumstances. We hear about these things and we want them because they're good and attractive, but we cannot bear that fruit without first and foremost being attached to the tree. Imagine a a branch that's broken off from the tree trying to bear fruit on the ground. It's not going to work. You are a branch. You belong on that tree, and only through the tree can you bear fruit. So imagine our first tree, right? Full of leaves and branches. Looks pretty on the outside, but no fruit. That's our first tree, the fig tree, and that eventually withers and dies. You can't simply look like a tree and and not bear fruit. That's why trees are made. But now we have a second tree, right? Imagine uh, a tree that's not sure about the best course of action, right? This tree knows that, that it needs sun and air, but it also needs nutrients from the soil, and it also needs water. So not knowing what to do, this tree, imagine it's a tree that can think, This tree puts some of its roots in the ground, right? Trying to get nutrients from the soil. But just to make sure, it also sticks some some roots straight up in the air to make sure that it gets some air, right? But it also needs water. So it also makes sure that some some roots land in the water just to make sure it has enough water. And, And all of a sudden, you've got roots in all sorts of places, Right? Is the tree going to get the best of all those worlds? Is the tree going to get the best of both worlds? No, it's going to wither and die. That is what happens to us when we attempt to serve God and. That's the purpose of Jesus' teaching here. Being a Christian that looks like a Christian but doesn't bear fruit is bad. But so is praying with doubt. So is a Christian who does bear some fruit but is serving two masters. Because here, this Christian, the ultimate goal is not fruit. The ultimate goal is not fruit. It is abiding. Fruit is the result of abiding. The ultimate goal is not fruit. It is abiding. Abiding in Christ. The fruit is the result that comes about from abiding. Sounds easy, right? Just stop what you're doing and abide in Jesus. So easy. Well... It really is that simple, but also no. You see, bearing fruit is what we want to do. Bearing fruit is what we need to do. We need to be patient and have joy in all the circumstances that are going to face us in this life. We want the peace and the blessedness and the security that the fig tree offers. We need that. We want that. But no matter how hard we try on our own, apart from Christ, apart from the tree, from the vine, we cannot bear that fruit. No matter how hard a broken branch on the ground tries to bear fruit, it won't unless it's attached to the tree. But make no mistake, brothers and sisters, this doesn't mean that we don't work hard to bear fruit. Quite the opposite. We work harder because of what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. Earlier we saw in 1 John that we have victory in Jesus through his victory over the world. So we have victory over the world. We have overcome the world in Christ. But Paul expands that thought even more. He says, the sting of death is sin. Okay? And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory even over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so great. That's it, right? 
Jesus conquered the world and even death, so I'm good. Well, yes, but also no. Because Paul continues, therefore, on account of the victory you have over the world and even over death in Jesus Christ, therefore, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, be steadfast, be immovable. Make sure that you are always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that now in Christ, your labor is not in vain. The labor of the broken branch on the ground apart from the tree is in vain. What a fool that branch is trying to bear fruit apart from the tree. The labor of of the fig tree that's trying to fool God, that's trying to pretend by just having nice pretty leaves on the outside but nothing substantial on the inside. That is the work of a fool. That is the work that is in vain. All your efforts are in vain. Rather, you, Christian, as you abide in Jesus Christ, the vine, your labor, you are promised, you are promised that your labor is not in vain, and therefore, you can have faith, and therefore, you can pray. And you can say, Lord, I pray that my labor in this is not in vain. And what does God promise you? It isn't. Does that mean you're going to get the result you want? No. That means God in His sovereign wisdom, in His sovereign majesty, will make sure that it is not in vain. Paul didn't imagine that abiding in Christ meant not having to work. Quite the opposite. True faith abides, and because it abides, it can produce the fruit fruit it was always meant to. Christian, as as we close this morning, let me remind you that you have everything you need in Christ. You have the tree that produces fruit. You have the promises of God. You have the promise that Jesus has overcome the world and even death. You can count on those promises and pray accordingly. As we will sing in a moment in our final verse, in Christ, we have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow because all the blessings of Christ are yours even with 10,000 beside. So join me as we praise God for his faithfulness to his people. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you that you have called us to produce the fruit that is good for us. Thank you that you have not left us to simply do what we want, but you have not just commanded us to bear fruit. You have, in fact, enabled us. You have given us everything we need to live the blessed life of fruit-bearing. Thank you that though we think other things might bring us happiness, thank you for the reminder and the sacrifice that you made to make sure that we are indeed living the life that brings us true happiness, the life of bearing fruit while abiding in Jesus Christ. I pray that we would not leave this place with doubts over your love for us, but rather in full confidence that it is because you love us that we can bear fruit and do so abiding in Jesus. And we pray this all in his strong name. Amen.